My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Allie Middleton. Allie is the author of a book called Yoga Radicals. It's a curated set of inspiring stories from pioneers in the yoga field that emerged from a conference a few years ago where Allie and her colleagues brought together a collection of a truly remarkable and diverse set of yoga teachers from around the world. And from that gathering, she became aware on her own and also through inputs from peers and colleagues and supporters that there was something in this gathering worth worth capturing and worth documenting. So she set out to gather up all the responses of many of the folks who attended and curated those into a set of stories and interviews in this book. Our friend Edie Pasalis introduced me to Allie, our mutual friend Edie, and she described to me when she said, you have to talk to Allie, she said, this book is myth-busting. As a certified yoga teacher, I appreciated hearing that because I'm aware of the way in which our culture has commodified yoga and reduced it to something purely physical as a set of practices to stretch and build strength and develop resilience and calm. And all of that is true, but it is one tiny facet of a much deeper multifaceted prism of possibility that yoga practitioners are committed to. Ali describes it as, as a, a way to move from me consciousness to we consciousness, the recognition that we are all of us sharing one planet and one moment in that planet's history. And it's possible to embark on a path of social action and social change through personal transformation. Allie herself has been meditating and practicing yoga for over 45 years. She facilitates and writes from a presencing approach, which is informed by the work of the uh, presencing Institute, Otto Sharmer and his work in theory U. And she is deeply attuned to future possibilities that might be. And the amazing folks that she interviews in her book and shares in her book, 36 in total, represent all of the diverse ways in which we can begin by simply listening to what's here in our minds and hearts without trying to plan and strategize and fix and solve and save. We simply begin from what enlivens us and brings us into the present moment that there are futures possible waiting for us and that we might find the thread that connects us in the midst of the many stories that divide us and position us as enemies or opponents. If you care at all about the future of our planet and the future of our species, and you have some part in you that is, is called toward something more than just a physical practice where you, you get a good sweat and you feel strong and you go back into to this culture of endless productivity that we're surrounded. And if you feel some sense that there's more to yoga than that, you've got to check out yoga radicals by Ali. And this conversation is a, is a great place to start. So why don't we get settled in? <sighs> and hear what Ali has for us. Hi, Ali. Welcome. 
Hi, Andy. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. Have you here in the Wonder Dome. <laughs> I appreciated your, uh, before we started recording, the way you were playing with this visual of a, of a grand dome that we might enter in together, a place filled with magic and light and possibility. And, and that's very much the spirit of the show. So thanks for tuning into that so quickly. Right here now, Andy. Yeah. You've written this really, or maybe uh, maybe you might use a different word. You've gathered together a really remarkable book called Yoga Radicals. And um, it's just a really, it strikes me as a really special and unique and important gathering of perspectives and points of views and understandings about uh, about what yoga is and maybe more deeply who we are and what we're called to be as a species and as individuals in the world. And my hope, my hope for today is that we can kind of explore both of those themes. Like what was it like for you to, to enter into the, the making of this book and how did it call you Allie to sort of come into being? And then also like, what is it for you to send that book out into the world? What are, what are the possibilities that, that become present for you as you touch into that? So, yeah, how does that sound for, for today? Does that feel like a good place to, to, for us to play in? It sounds like uh, becoming visible and revealing uh, more than I've done before, Andy. So I have both the, the hope and willingness that it is useful and mm. that it really is, as we were talking, this uh, capacity that we all have mm. now to move across the threshold from a me place or an ego place to a we place and that we're learning the steps along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I honor the part of you that hopes that this is useful. And I also honor like the stepping forward you're taking to, to bring your work to the public, but then also to bring yourself and your experiences uh, to people in venues like this. So thanks for for saying yes to my invitation and, and in particular, a deep bow of gratitude to our, to our mutual dear friend Edie for making this possible. Yes. Thank you, Edie. Yeah. Bless your yeah. heart. <laughs> yes, indeed. We could probably have a whole conversation talking about how great Edie is. So maybe another time, Edie, if you're listening in, know that Ali and I will do that. Oh, hmm. yes. So uh, I said a moment ago that that uh, that this book, in a way, is kind of a gathering together, and and so tell me if that resonates with you. Like as I understand it, you had an opportunity to interview a really remarkable and diverse group of teachers and thought leaders and practitioners who identify like who who we might put under the umbrella of yoga, and uh, maybe just take us a bit into that origin story, like. How did this book come to be? Thank you, uh, Andy, for, for opening the gate for the origin story. And um, as, I, as I lean into the seeds of this book, I need to honor the International Association of Yoga Therapists and mm. particularly Matthew J. Taylor, who is an old colleague and friend uh, working within the yoga therapy world and also in the introduction of yoga in the healthcare system among many other people. Mm. And uh, I had been very interested in how body-centered practices worked not only for learning yoga and the yoga traditions, but also how somatics or embodied leadership was impacting my work in organizational team coaching. And so as um, someone who stumbles and bumbles into creating projects that I may not know much about, but ask for help, Matthew put a Lilith Bailey Kroll and me together and said, well, why don't the two of you create and co-facilitate this inaugural session of what is social activism and community healing that was a half-day conference at the annual sitar conference held annually by the international association of yoga therapists mm. so we're back in 2018 i think it was it might have been 2017 so we put out an rfp or request for proposals and uh, i assembled along with lilith a set of questions that mirrored 
the um, hero's journey process from Joseph Campbell, mm. who wrote many, many books based upon Jungian um, collective consciousness and, and a variety of other mythological traditions, ancient traditions. And I combined that with a prototyping practice from the Presencing Institute, which is the place where Otto Scharmer and others have founded a global community of conscious, socially active change makers. Mm -hmm. And it appeared in my mind and heart that this blending of these many diverse yet very rooted connected pathways might be an interesting experiment. Mm -hmm. And so it started. <laughs> Can I pause for a second? What was, uh, what about those two? lineages in particular, this kind of, um, or maybe I guess three kind of yoga as therapy, yoga as leading yoga as this, a way to be more embodied and whole the hero's journey, kind of the, that archetype, that mythological archetype. And then this, this presencing thing, what, what was it, what were you feeling or noticing about like, I want to experiment with these three things. Well, this whole idea of identity gets very interesting when you've been a long-term practitioner. So the hero's journey model seemed to be very useful because it actually embraces the multiple change events that happen when one follows one's true destiny or uh, like in some of the um, the tarot deck, the, the fool starting out on the way or in Taoism. There's, there's a way that we return over and over again that's really magnified by most of the ancient traditions. Mm -hmm. So that seemed to be a little bit more um, mainstream than what was the yoga practice that helped you create a new project that might be helpful for a community. Mm -hmm. And so this landing in the personal story a.k.a. the hero's journey mm. or heroine's journey, as some of the early um, early folks in the, in the first session uh, said, we're, we're not heroes, we're heroines. <laughs> so there was this blending already of the way in which a personal story evoked the capacity to move into the world and share something for the benefit of the community that they cared about. Mm. And, and so that's how that's how this idea of moving from me to we got seeded, because if it's true, Andy, and I'm wondering if listeners have this same experience, that somebody who's a practitioner changes their perception of who they are in the world, mm -hmm. not just removing, you know, some issue that needs a therapeutic intervention, but it's actually evoking maybe even initiating some new substance or some new capacity to help, to benefit mm, others. Mm, mm, mm. So you have this conference, you have this kind of experiment to say, let's bring together a remarkable group of people who, who in some way, shape or form are committed to social activism, social justice. Let's, let's help them connect to and narrate the, their own personal journey and the way it's shaped and evolved them. And then you bringing in the presencing work, which as I understand it is a kind of way for an individual or a group to, um, to really deeply imagine a possible future and then find, find what it means to like a let, a, a let that future or invite that future to actually come into being. So it's a way of, of doing that. Is that right? Yes, and I, I love how you're using your arms, even though people can't see it, when you reached out and beyond when you're describing the presencing work, because that's exactly it, Andy, that, that nexus of connecting to source, which what we truly know from an individual perspective launches a whole nother cascade of potential in our human body, right? We know that mm. from the mm. biopsychophysiological research. Mm. But when we get into social systems, change practices and processes, we need help. And the Presencing Institute prototyping process, which is a five-pointed star mapping process, became a very useful blueprint to help guide the personal narrative 
forward. And that was the way, basically, there was a guidance system, a navigation system using the theory you process and mm. the prototyping model mm. to embed the personal story into a social action framework. Mm. And that's where the me and we combination began to stretch into a way in which we could have a community conversation that has continued as part of the book. Mm. Mm. Got it. It sounds really beautiful. I wish I had been there. It sounds like it was a pretty remarkable gathering. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. This is like, I can imagine all of these really heart-centered, deeply thoughtful, caring people connecting to this way of understanding themselves that's, that has this flavor of destiny or possibility or, or, or kind of creation, self-authoring and self-creation. And then bringing that together and saying like, what could we as a group bring to being in the world? Like that's a, that is as sort of simple as we're making it sound that is a very radical act. And I, and I use the word radical maybe in both of its senses, our cultural sense right now is that that's like very counterculture to be radical is to be counterculture. And I think what you describing does feel counterculture to me, but also the Latin, the Latin root of radical is like to get back to the root like, let's actually connect to what's more real than just, hey, what's your job and what do you do? And, you know, what are your what are your KPRs for this quarter or what, you know, like, let's actually like what's possible for our collective future? That's a much that's such a generative question to ask. So I wish I had been there. It sounds like a lot of fun. What happened? <laughs> like you, you there's an artifact, there's a book, but something happened at this this gathering for you, maybe just speaking yeah. from your experience, like what happened for you once once this all this experiment actually started to come to life? So I I guess I could start by um, saying that the qualities within the prototyping process and practice engage us in sensing practices. That's not feelings or emotions, but it's sensing. You know that je ne sais quoi. When there's something in the field that isn't quite clear, but you want to further know it or smell it or get into it, get closer to it, this leaning in. Well, I'm a big leaner in to, to spaces that, <laughs> that feel like there's potential. And so at the conference, um, we had a beautiful visual facilitator who took a whole wall in the room and she created an artifact, in fact, that went into one of the plenary rooms at IAYT Sitar uh, down in, in Reston, P, uh, Virginia that year. Mm. And so there was something that remained already from our half day. And then there was conversations and this whole quality of evolving networking that started to happen. What is this presencing stuff? What are you talking about? Social <laughs> systems change. I thought we were just yoga practitioners to help people heal their bodies. And the conversation opened into, well, no, we're actually helping communities to heal. And here are the stories from these early first prototype people. And so what ended up happening, Andy, this very natural thing is that people wanted to discover more from their experience. The six originals wanted to discover more. So we spent another full year in Zoom meetings, refining the eight questions of the interview process. And that became a blog, uh, first a blog, I think it was, yep, for IAYT. And then it was a, a feature article in the Yoga Therapy Today journal published by the International Association mm. of Yoga Therapists. And that was just another way in which the conversational frame, as, as you opened up um, in our early talk, uh, created ground for something to emerge. So here we are in the dialogue of people doing new things, and we're sitting on Zoom together saying, well, how do we help other people learn also how we did new things from the basis of having been a long-term practitioner and creating prototypes, experiments in the social field that they care about? Well, that's something that I did as a professional in my way back years. 
saying, well, I have an idea. Anybody want to join me? Can we have some fun doing it? So there was this shared leadership that began to emerge from people who shared cares in their communities. And then the actual next step, Andy, this is where it gets really funny because this is where trust and faith and just being available. Walking down the aisle in the IAYT bookstore and, you know, where people sell their goods. And there's Claire Wilson from Singing Dragon Press. And we'd already established a little hello, how are you, a couple of years before. And she said, it sounds kind of interesting what you've been doing over there in that, in that conference room. Would you like to do a, a project for us? And so that was how the commission from the Singing Dragon Press, Jessica Kingsley Publishers, came forward. And then I said, oh, my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? And I had to then <laughs> really step back and gather gather my tether, so to speak, and say, can I really do this? Is this, is this a place that I want to land? And who do I need help from? So that's... Mm. That was the beginning of the saying yes mm. and, and becoming more visible with the project that it already had some publications behind it. And mm. now the opportunity to make it a book. Mm. Mm. Amazing. I think I'm, I love those moments where you walk in the, you're in the right place in the right time. And then someone says, there's a thing that you could make possible. You want to do it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. now you have this book, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to kind of like keep going and then hear the next step and the next step. But I feel like now we have a, a flavor of, of this, this group activity started to consolidate itself into some artifacts that could be shared with other people and absorbed by other people who weren't there with the original group. Um, and, and we've kind of flashed forward and now you've, you've done all of these really remarkable interviews with so many different practitioners. Tell me like, what's, what is the book to you in this moment? What is the book to you now? Like, what is it that actually emerged from all of that as you understand it in this moment? So I take a deep breath with that uh, question, Andy, and I mm -hmm. thank you for it. Um, and I, I want to bring in um, Lauren Roche, who, who said to me, and I believe this was truly uh, one of the major inspirations. He said, you know, Ali, you're creating a yantra. And so that was the weaving together of these multiple stories that made sense at some multiple dimensional level, mm -hmm. but that might not be fully understood yet by folks who hadn't had the personal experience mm. of long-term practice. Mm. And, and so as I sit here we now... just sorry to interrupt, but the yantra, could you tell us, to, for those who might not know what that means, that's... The yantra is um, an ancient uh, symbol um, that depicts creation, nature, and the truth in and around us as human beings, as Amy Gage writes in her dedication. And this is um, a long-term practice of being able to focus both on the very microscopic experience within like a meditation or yoga practice while simultaneously following the energetic stream or flow into different dimensions of awareness. And the yantra, just like other similar ancient esoteric symbols, have been used for a long, long time in variety of traditions. The tanka paintings, uh, the enneagram, and what they serve to remind us of, Andy, just like I would say what's happening on the planet today is that there's some other perhaps implicit force or some invisible space that's actually leaning in to our own personal experiences, even right now. And, and how do we learn to listen to that together and then make sense and, and, and some meaning of it so that we might act together from that place of coherence or coalescence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of your friends and mentors uh, says, this is what you're creating. You're creating 
a yantra that might give people access to something that they otherwise wouldn't have since they haven't done the years of practice that the folks in the book have like, yeah. So, so, so I kind of interrupted that thread, but that feels like an important thought now that we understand what you mean when you say that you're, you have this book and and you maybe now understanding it as a yantra, like what does that mean for you and for the book and for people yeah, who might well, meet, read it? Yeah. So um, again, this creation of a safe container, right? Using the symbol, as I was just mentioning, as my context Mm. for helping to both cultivate and lift this up based upon the support, not only of individuals now, but also of the ancient traditions and the wisdom flowing through. Hopefully, finally, (laughs) and with others, um, we, we as a culture across the planet may wish to warm up our response to the many changes that we're being invited to encounter. Mm. And, and that this um, influx of information that's come into our personal lives during these last couple of years, during Corona time, as I like to call it, actually might serve as a reinvigoration of our creative relationship with life force, with universal life force, and the many ways our activities can encourage a sharing of the resources while we stay with this great unfolding Mm. of this great time of change. And I don't mean that to be vague or or inexplicit. I, I mean it to be very much that quality of consciousness that weaves through us as a result of our practices or of being with others who have been in long-term practice, that kind of quality of energetic transmission that yeah. used to happen only, you know, in, in the monasteries and the ashrams, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. This is, mm. this is life. This is, mm. this is what's happening now. And how can we be immediate around the urgency of the need to shift into these more multidimensional ways of living, loving, working, and relating? Mm-hmm. I want to, this is really resonating with me, and I want to see if we can start to paint some pictures that speak to this new way of living and loving and working and relating that you're pointing us towards. That are, that might be new for many, but actually have ancient, ancient sort of gr- grounding and root that, that some of us have been living in these ways for, for many thousands of years. And that maybe more of us could start to live in these ways is what I'm sort of hearing you say. Maybe even all of us could start to live in these ways. Is that right? Yeah, you know, we're at this threshold of, well, why not? And what's in the way? You know, uh, do, am I going to talk about where I'm stuck and why I didn't get what I got and why I still need to not get what I don't want? You know, these are the complexities of the paradoxical time of shift. Hmm. And where do our minds go when we open towards something new? Hmm. And where do our bodies and hearts go as we understand that we are connected and always have been. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Tell me if this resonates with you, but um, there are certainly parts of me and I know parts of our kind of collective culture that sort of sort of two, maybe two very common responses to what you've called the Corona times, which is to sort of one response is deny is to deny that, anything is really changing that at some point we'll get through this and return to normal quote unquote normal. So there's a sort of denial energy that could meet the threshold. It could arrive to the threshold and deny that it's even there. Uh, Another possible response is to, is, is fear, panic, um, loss, that this is the ending of something that these are to to put it in its most drastic terms. It's most kind of final terms these are the end times that, that, uh, that this is sort of a a doomsday scenario. And some people are very alive with that, like, you know, possibility, but, uh, but there's maybe another possibility, which is that, that this is, is a beginning time that these are beginning times, that there are things waiting 
saying, saying to us, if we're willing to listen, it doesn't have to keep being the way it's been if you don't want it to be anymore, if you choose something different. And that whatever's ending has to end so that something else can begin. And I wonder if that connects in some way to what you're speaking to or if you want to play with that at all. Yeah. Um, so many different directions to go with that question or comments, Andy. And um, from the perspective of truly grounding in the new, right, there, there definitely is a letting go process. And whether or not we get overcome with the grief of the old no longer being here and having emotional reactions to it, uh, which is natural, right? That's natural. These other responses, these other ways to open toward the unfolding or the emerging future with an open mind and an open heart and this embodied presence of, of being willing to take chances to explore perhaps just as of early experiment, what might want to happen. And as I see you embrace your daughter here, who's just touching your face so lovingly, it's no different. (laughs) It's no different like the snowflake on her beautiful shirt that we can create some new crystallizing forms so that people can see and feel together. You're exemplifying it so naturally there so that others can also share that. And that's how we do things. It's a natural occurrence. Mm -hmm. And that's about natural creativity. And then we choose to respond. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Ali. I'm going to pause this for a second so I can get this little nugget situated, but, uh, she seems to have arrived at a fortuitous time to underline <laughs> how we just meet the unexpected and greet it. Yeah. Okay. Sushi, you want to say hi to Allie? Can you say hi? I'm sorry. I want a show. Oh, you want a show. Okay. Let's go check oh, that out. So that's nice. You're going to go see a show. And I'm here with your dad. Nice to meet you, Sushi. Can you say nice to meet you? Hi, nice to meet you. Mm, okay. okay. I give you a high five, okay? You want a high five? <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll be back, Allie. One sec. Okay, dogs. <laughs> Take your time. Great. No worries. Hey, we're back. We've got my daughter situated. Perhaps <laughs> she'll join us again. I think she has what she needs for the time being. We were talking about... Um, the ways in which possibilities can simply crystallize and and be available and and we can live into them if we want to, if we choose to. And I wonder if there's a particular, you know, you have dozens of interviews in your book, dozens of conversations. I wonder if there are any in particular that are really present for you right now as you and I are talking that you might want to bring into this space a perspective from one of the subjects of your books who might who might bring more color and texture to this question of what it is to meet a possible future and bring it into being yeah i um a couple of uh folks come to mind but i think i'll land on ita russos who is a yoga teacher and therapist in africa and ita um tells her story in the book and we had an extraordinary connection of uh, a very um, unusual depth and uh, I, I bring her to mind and to heart now in this interview because what was significant about Ita's story is that she was grounded in her own culture and then added and integrated what she had learned from her own long-term yoga mm-hmm. practice. And she was responding, of course, within days after the George Floyd um, event. Mm-hmm. So we not only had the disruption of Corona time, but also the disruption and the beginnings of these huge turbulences of Black Lives Matter. And so we were, we were surrounded Andy, by turbulence within the social system. She had long been surrounded by apartheid in Africa, 
And she had been a frontline worker treating the um, internal change agents who were suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, on the continent. Mm. And her story unfolded so beautifully. She described her long-term early morning practices. She got very explicit about what she did in order to sustain this expansion of her work on the continent, the impact of these additional um, challenges, let's call them constricting uh, fields of experience. And what I wanted to bring forward was that she was now combining her experience with the requests from the African youth who wanted to learn from her. So there was a true, true passing on Mm -hmm. of the legacy of her own personal story, her own personal practice into those who were two generations um, Mm -hmm. younger than she. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of immersive experience within a cultural contrast And she spoke about bringing the tribal wisdom of the various tribes uh, on the continent forward in combination with the ancient yogic practices. Mm. And it was that integration in her social activism which ignited a movement, which ignited this combinatory capacity building where everyone was welcome, regardless of where they had trained, what they had learned, but it had some message that was unique and realizable, crystallizable Mm -hmm. into something that could be seen. So Mm -hmm. it was truly that quality of making something visible that then could move with others. That was inspiration. I was, um, I felt like we had entered seriously, like you said at the beginning, some kind of magic dome of potential Mm. where everything just began Mm. to coalesce naturally. Mm. It was Mm. a love fest, a total love fest. Mm. And that heart centered intelligence was very different than some strategic idea about how to do whatever, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, when we think about those two contrasting ways of approaching the question, right? Like, the question that maybe Ita didn't wasn't even aware of until until it was asking her to answer it was what might what might it look like to pass on what I've learned and created and integrated to future generations? And if we ask that in a kind of strategic blah 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 way, well, you've got to you've got to identify where the young people are, and you've got to get funding for your program, and you've got to uh, you've got to have a five year plan, and you have to and there's just all of this. Um, cognitive and intellectual energy comes to bear on this problem that is pretty abstract. But, but what I'm hearing in this year example of, of Ita's story is instead simply, I was called into these practices. Some of them emerge from my direct lineage and experience in my culture. Others come from another continent and another culture, but they found their way to me. And I spend time with them every day and I bring them to help other people heal. And after George Floyd was murdered, I brought them to help even more people heal. And suddenly I found that around me were all of these young people who felt called to learn from me. And so the answer to the question, how do I bring my teachings to the next generation and the next after is she didn't even need to ask it. That question arrived at her doorstep and and that beautiful space emerges in a way that I don't know that anyone could plan for and maybe even planning for it would have undercut the very aim of it in the first place. How does that land with you? Well, you know, you're reminding me of what I was able to see as I was listening to Ita tell her story. And it's exactly what you just laid out that there are these uh, overlapping, sometimes very concentric, sometimes not aspirations and inspirations from a diverse set of folks who express their interest, right? That's part of the original spark of potential. There has to be some care or interest. And then if the shape of the container is broad enough and the practice of the practitioner is to stay in that open awareness, staying in that vertical mindfulness of the body place, using our skeletal structure in the way that we know how, but also this expanded awareness, 
into the ecosystem, into the space around. And that's a space, particularly in some of these ancient cultures, are spaces that go through time. And so that's where it's no accidental tourist that shows up when they come to someone and say, will you teach me? It's because they've tapped into the matrix to some nexus of Mm. complete alignment Mm. of Mm. some larger reality that's Mm. trying to become more available to many of us on the planet. Mm. So that might sound a little abstract, a little bit quantum. However, I would suggest that, as you mentioned earlier, more indirectly than this comment, is that as we think so shall it be as our heart's desires open to a collective, the space of that aspect of our aspirations become a little bit more visible, tangible, practicable. And then we get to find the landing strips, the experimental places and spaces where we try things out with other people. Mm. That's, that's all we're talking about. Yeah. And that, that takes a quality of being, not necessarily of doing. Yeah. Yeah, there's this uh, wonderful. I hear in what you're describing, and your and, and 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 really in the way that the book emerged, and also in the way that Ita's journey emerged, and that you share that she shares in the book, this um, willingness to listen to what feels exciting and experimental right now, even if you don't have a sense of where it's going to lead. Like you said, hey, I just let's we have this conference happening and we have this so, this sort of invitation to bring in a conscious social justice lens. Let's I'm really into this presencing work and it's it touched me deeply. And 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 the hero's journey, let's just try that. And in the same way, Ita is called into I'm, you know, I'm from Africa, but these these practices from from India are just calling to me and and I'm gonna integrate them and I'm gonna try that. And oh, now people are hurting. I'm gonna I just feel called to help people heal. And I try that. And suddenly here are, here is this possibility that emerges from this kind of willingness to simply listen to what's most enlivening or exciting or energizing rather than to try and to plan it all. Like you couldn't plan any of that. And yet it becomes possible by this commitment to what's here right now. Mm. Yeah, it, it strikes me just to, to pick up on this um, free radical notion of the independent capacity building, you know, when one with that spark of interest and inspiration continues to go forward, right? Uh, think of it as a long-term meditation. I've been on many long-term meditations, weeks and weeks and months, and, you know, you have to stay and something happens when you stay. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, we're, mm-hmm. if we're nourishing that aspiration of a contemplative inquiry, this experimental place of not doing yet, the momentum that opens within that potential space has a quality to it that isn't possibility. It isn't probability. It's more of that magical energetic capacity that is the source of real innovation, real adventuresome, risk-taking at one level, just like the free radical in science going around until there is a place to connect. Mm. And then what happens? Mm. So this is this building blocks kind of approach, Andy, that I learned early on as a kid. Um, And it was no accident somehow that that somaticized early inspiration about being willing to experiment, being willing to stay present, offered space for something new to emerge. Mm. Mm. So now that the book is here and you've had this gathering and you've had all of these conversations, do you have, what's your, what are you sensing into? What are you present to now that's in, in your own first person experience that might be calling you what's the experiment or the the risk or the adventure that is in front of you next now that the book is here so there's this creation or creativity that i would say is part of my core identity and and my willingness to experiment and what happened to me after the book and the editing and the back and forth with 
you know, publishing something um, as complex as this and, and collapsing the narratives in, into stories, collapsing the interviews into narratives. I'll give the example of how the table of contents came to be, because mm. that's what I believe is now, if I were to analogize it to a seated practice, that's what my spine is wanting to listen into more. Mm. That as the book uh, landed in some kind of coherent set of chapters of these 36 very, very diverse yoga innovators, each responding to the very same set of questions. I heard a new set of inspirational tones. And what I mean by that is that the stories began to land in me as an organizing structure, the way I hope they will for others as they read them, that when I backed off into the perimeter of my experience saying, how am I going to put a table of contents mm, together? Mm -hmm. It took me about two months of meditation and wandering around, going away from it. But now it's actually an approach that I hope will become a model of conscious leadership or of um, sacred duty, shall we call it. And that these stories, each in their own right, exemplify the path along the way to conscious leadership embodied conscious leadership i should add yeah so um i want to uh i want to evoke those those elements here you have these 36 interviews and they are kind of clustered under different sections the journey yes. starts arriving deeper with deeper listening Grounding and co-initiating, planting seeds of potential, connecting to source, state and stage shifts, reflections on action, a new day after a long night. So this is the this is the kind of there's a there's a journey implicit in each of these these steps that I hear you speaking to. And I wonder if you want to help us touch into that a bit more for those who haven't read the book yet, or even those who have and are kind of getting in touch more deeply with what you saw from the perimeter when you step back. Yes. Thank you. Um, and this, this really does take me back to the ancient roots, Andy, that informs a lot of my embodiment practice in yoga and in social presencing theater, which is the body centered practice that scaffolds the theory you process that in addition to these ancient traditional forms we also have um, the Greeks and um, the Pythagoreans who, with their geometry and with the listening to the music of the spheres, created an analogy, a metaphor of the musical scale. And so there are eight questions in the book and there are eight chapters eight questions in each of the interviews and eight chapters and the um, deeper substrate of this book and of my leadership journey has been the grounding in the um, work of the octaves, the Pythagoreans and the various mystical practitioners who use that. And in our current time, William Torbert is the most accessible in our leadership world who is similar in his approach to using these traditions that use um, Gurdjieff's law of seven and his law of three. Uh, coming from a family of Gurdjieff practitioners, these are a, a variety of integrated forms of understanding of reality and the anchoring. Um, formulas uh, do uh, uh, trace back to not only Buddhism, um, Sufism, the ancient yogis, but also the Pythagoreans and the Greeks. Mm. So mm. that's a bit of a disclosure of my background, which also was deeply Quaker. So as the, uh, as the friendship with these ancient practices got grounded in more accessible yogic and Buddhist practices, I now can say 
with great gratitude for these deeper roots of, of my of my belonging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just taking all of that in. There's something here for me. I can't, it's not quite a question yet. It's not even quite a statement, but there's something about the musical idea of harmony and dissonance and the ways in which certain notes played together produced sounds that are evocative of different experiences and feelings and possibilities. And like, I sense that's what you're speaking into that there are ways of understanding our universe and our experiences that have something to do with that vibration, that harmony or that dissonance. And that maybe if we get more conscious of those foundational vibrations, we could actually start to either play or at least allow ourselves to be played by these, these notes more. How's that landing with you? Uh, very beautifully put and, and so authentic. Thank you, Andy, for going in and resonating and then finding your own language, because that's exactly it. We are in a time, as Gregory Bateson and his daughter Nora are translating, of this capacity to have cross-contextual learning experiences. So we're all coming from different places and spaces, different lineages, but there's this need for mutual learning from that dissection of our learnings, from our cultures, from our experiences. So we're, we're looking at this, and it, it really is the warm data of connection that has that feeling quality of harmony, as you say. Mm. And when we extend and expand, just like in the yantra and other symbols of um, contemplative inquiry, we're willing and able to move across dimensions of experience. And when we stay with that, uh, in a meditation or in a team, if you're working in a team and you wish to cultivate this quality of harmony and capacity, we're really looking at this same quality of consciousness that David Bohm speaks to and practitioners around the globe are using in dialogue. So how does the body, how does our communication, how do our systems of structure change or just community living embrace the music of this difference of the different harmonies Mm. and that quality of um the word that comes is that one has to try to Mm. begin to put language to it to begin to move with it Mm. maybe not to talk about it first but to play with it to establish a poetic resonance and aesthetic capacity with it mm. to cultivate it. Mm. 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 I'm aware as you say that, and this is very much putting you potentially putting you on the spot, but I'm aware that there's a part of me that is um, saying something like, okay, Andy, as the host, it's your job to talk to the listener who's hearing this and help them if they've never had some of these expanded conscious states to like try and land that with them, that's your job right now, Andy. And I'm going, well, I don't have the F do I do that? I don't know. I'm just here with, I'm just here with Allie right now. So I'm hearing that part of me kind of come in. And then I'm having another part go like, Oh, 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 Allie just said poetic resonance and she's a poet. And maybe what we need now at this moment is to stop talking about it and rather uh, bring in something that might give listeners at least just a taste of, hey, if I were to slow down a bit and breathe a little bit slower and listen to a piece of poetry that Allie might have at her fingertips or in her heart, what what does that do to me and for me? And what might become possible if I made a choice or an action from that state of being as opposed to the maybe I'm multitasking, partly listening to this and checking email state of being that I could be in. So the invitation just to put it really clearly is maybe there's a poem you want to bring in at this moment that sort of lets us play with this. Well, 
I was in the same space as you were. <laughs> okay, Andy. I see you laughing and smiling. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. So just to, to remind the listeners that I was first a poet and always a poet and these interviews and practices and willingness to become more visible derive from my meditation and my work in nature. So I do have poetry in the book. Um, and I thought that perhaps the, um, the last poem in the book might be useful to read. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Allie. So, um, this in fact is a composite poem. It's a practice, uh, that I and others engage in on the planet, which is not only my words, but they come from words in a chat, but mm. also in a checkout circle after a facilitation or a retreat. Okay. Mm. And it's called Thresholds of Blue Timelessness. Mm. And it's not too long. Okay. <laughs> Here it goes. Thresholds of Blue Timelessness. Even if I am, we are just an emergent, attempting to articulate, to speak the words, being in your space and seeing something is amazing. Staying present to knowing we don't have to teach. It's in the allowing. Now, I know why you were listening to me. We've got some threads from staying present to our common threads, opening circles of connection on the grid. So staying present to a bunch of strangers who never met, staying present to so many endings and beginnings. As someone said, and another said, be invisible. Our power is not to exist. Our choice may still be not to be visible. How was that for you to read this poem that emerged from your collective and that bookends your book? What's here for you right now as you read it again? Well, I'm remembering um, as the, because this is from the poetry book, um, a dear, dear person who came forward without solicitation, who happened to have purchased the book and who I might've had maybe three contacts with, and um, Indian native from the continent, he said, this is my favorite. <laughs> so that's what I'm remembering oh. is Rohit telling me, and could he please read it at one of his um, community oh. settings with mm. some of his leadership clients. Mm. Mm. So I'm, mm. I'm, um, I'm feeling, um, you know, that parabola or that feeling of sending a boomerang out and it kind of comes back. <laughs> yeah. 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 These arcs, these arcs of, of, of light and, and willingness. I, yeah. That's how it feels. It's really beautiful. Thanks, Ali. I'm in touch with, uh, thanks for presencing Rohit and his kind of sort of joy and relationship to the poem. You know, this is a, this is something that I care about a lot. Um, what I'm about to speak to and I, and I sense it in what you just shared and, and Rohit's response, but there are so many contexts that so many of us live in kind of co-created contexts created by people who came before us, people who had certain powers and chose to use those powers to enact certain structures, organizational structures, societal structures. And I find again and again, that so many of us inside of these structures, even those of us who we would identify as the privileged ones who have the material wealth or the access to education, that, that, that there's an emptiness to that because the structure itself, the wealth itself is not actually enriching. And like one of the many tragedies of that, and there are many, 
is that so many of us are not invited to bring in our favorite to what we do, like to be able to simply say, Mm. oh, I love this. Can Mm -hmm. I share it with you? That is such a generous, genuine, simple act. And I wonder how many people right now who have the privileges of a job and the income would be feel weird or awkward or maybe even unwelcome or maybe even scared to say, hey, this is a favorite thing of mine. Can I share it? So I just like, that's a possibility I'm in touch with from our conversation today is that we might all live in a world where we are welcome to bring what we love to each other and share it generously and easily without fear of shame or judgment. So thank you for that right now. And thanks Rohit for that as well. You know, this reflection practice and process, which it feels like you're actually referring to Andy, this willingness to share what we love. It feels to me that that's an embodied awareness and expression of reflection of something way beyond our current understanding. And yet, as we reach over those thresholds and we take refuge in love and in harmony, that there's this quality of unraveling that occurs, but also this weaving of the new treasures together. And when we allow ourselves to bring that music forward with others, from others, It's like a friend said the other day, I looked up at the mountain in moonlight and the mica was reflecting back at me, Mm. illuminating the space in between. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Allie. This has been really special. I'm aware that we're approaching our time boundary and uh, I sense that we could keep keep playing and keep unfolding. Um, But this feels like a nice moment to pause at. And uh, for everyone who's listening, the question I'm sitting with for myself and will share with you is this question of like, what threshold are you standing at that you might be afraid of or might not quite see unless you know to look for it that you could walk through or walk towards? I'm really in touch with the power of thresholds and of crossing them as a result of our time today. And I want to say thanks for that. I feel a deep warmth in my heart, Andy, right here, right now in this conversation with you. I am deeply appreciative of the space in the Wonder Dome. Mm. Mm. Thanks for stepping across the threshold of the Wonder Dome and joining me. It's always fun when I get to meet someone who I've never met before in this kind of way. Right. Like that's really the secret of this show is really (laughs) these are just the conversations I want to have with people I meet for the first time that we don't always have permission to. So the Wonder Dome becomes the kind of tacit permission for us to cross that threshold together. (laughs) And thank you for just jumping right in with me. It's been a real honor meeting you. Thank you so much. And say hi to your lovely daughter again. I love her. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. She's so sweet. I'm glad you got to see her for a minute. If folks listening in want to find your work online or find the book, what's the best place for them to go? They can go to their local bookstore and uh, ask for them to order Yoga Radicals, a curated set of inspiring stories from pioneers in the field. Of course, it's also available on all the major online platforms. And I do have a website, alleymiddleton.com. It's um, filled with pieces of information, pictures, and uh, it's also the home of integrative leadership practices. So I look forward to hearing more about what you're doing too, Andy. Great. Thanks, Sally. And thanks everyone for listening in. This has been a real treat. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, 
consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.